you had, be honest, how have you had a happy harness when you were a kid? It looks like a backpack, but it's actually a leash. You know what I'm saying? No one? Okay, yeah, me neither. I never used it on my kids. Um, but with my third kid, my, my son Silas, it was absolutely necessary. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. stand together for the reading of God's word and we'll read I'll just read it to you this time you don't have to read it out loud I'll do it for you this time and last time everyone got a little awkward and then felt weird it's like school again we have to read out loud in front of the class I get it I do it every week all right let's read it and then we'll pray it says the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures He leads me beside the still waters, and he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this psalm. I thank you, God, that uh, tonight we, as we sang, that you're with us, you're among us, Lord. And we thank you for that promise in your word that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. And um, so, God, we pray your presence would, would move among us tonight. Lord, teach us by the power of the Holy Spirit how to walk with you and and draw us close, Lord. Our desire is to know you. Our desire is to to walk closely with you, Lord. And, and so would you teach us how to do that? Would you teach us um, what it is to be a disciple of Jesus and to walk with you, Lord? So we love you and we thank you for all that you've blessed us with, God. All the things today that that have gone unnoticed, Lord, we know that it's by your your hand that you've upheld us. And and so, Lord, we thank you for, for those things. And um, speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, uh, like I said, we went through the first few verses um, a few weeks ago. And just to refresh our course, the psalmist, who is David, who was a shepherd himself, is using the imagery or um, using the picture of a shepherd and his sheep to illustrate just the the type of relationship that God has with us. And, and he's using it in the sense as, his, as an, a shepherd himself, seeing the amount of care, the amount of time, the um, uh, the work that goes into caring for, this, for, for these sheep. And so he compares us to sheep. Now, not, again, not the greatest compliment either of us have ever received that you are sheep, right? Um, are you sheep? Yep, there's no plural, just sheep, not sheeps. It's just sheep. Um, but, but all sheep, what's common of all sheep is that they desperately need a shepherd. Sheep don't have fangs, they don't have claws, they are very vulnerable animals, um, and so they need the help of their shepherd. And so David is using this image of the fact that the Lord is our shepherd, and if we can say that, if we can say that the Lord is the one I'm following, he's the one um, 
that is taking care of me, then I can say the second half of that verse and it will be true in my life. That I will lack nothing or I will not want uh, is, is some of your versions. But, but that's the idea. That if I'm following after the Lord and he is my shepherd, then he's going to take care of me. He's going to provide my needs. He's going to look out for me. And there's not going to be this issue of lack or want in my life. And we made the comparison also that lack in our life and, and what that is, it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Or, or to put it simply, it's the, the need to look great, to be great, and to feel great, right? That's, that's ultimately what those three things are. And lack is like a cattle dog that nips at the heels of sheep to get them going in a direction. These little dogs, um, cattle dogs, there you go. Thank you. Aussies, work Aussies. My sister-in-law has a Aussie and when it was a puppy, they would bring it over and it would start to herd my children, try and corral them and pin them against the wall and like kid them. But always it like nip to try and create motion in, in them and to get them into one place. And so that's a lot of times what lack does. In our life, it doesn't lead us, in, it drives us, not at a pace that we can keep up with, but at a pace that it sets. So the, the, I could follow either my shepherd that walks and leads at a, at a pace that I can keep up with and that I can follow, or I'm driven by lack that will drive me no matter, like it doesn't care what pace it goes at. It's going to get what it wants and it's going to drive me. And pretty soon what you find is that your soul begins to crack. Your soul begins to break. There's an exhaustion in, inside that goes beyond the physical and it's something spiritual. Have you, ever, you guys know what I'm talking about? Have you ever felt tired in your soul? Do you even know what a soul, do we even know what a soul is? A lot of times it's depicted in cartoons as like this thing floating up out of a body. What is a soul? And that's what the psalmist says. Uh, he restores my soul. And if something is being restored, then the point is, is that it can be broken down. To being restored. I, I love restored cars, old cars, and, and but, but to see where they've come from to where they are, there's this deep process that it goes through to get back to what it was. Factory settings. I love factory setting cars. Not chopped and dropped and lowered in the thing, and you're just like, what? Why? But it looks like it just rolled off the line in 1964. That is cool. So, Amen. You may have your opinion, but it doesn't matter. Um, no, it matters. All of your opinions matter. But if something can or needs to be restored, ultimately that means it can be broken down. And the soul can be broken down. And the only one who can repair it is the one who created the soul. The world cannot restore a soul. Only God can restore it and repair it and, and bring to it what it needs to, to again, be um, to be made whole. But we pick up our, our study in verse four tonight. And it starts with, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now that is not a yay in the sense of roller coaster of life. Like, yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's this, this idea that this is something that um, is happening to them. The Psalm changes tone, right? We went from blues and greens of, 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 
of rushing waters and green pastures and peace and tranquility, right? In verses three and four, he leads me beside still waters. He leads me into green pastures. Oh, there's such peace and tranquility. And suddenly it all changes. Verse four, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It goes from blue and green to black and gray. It changes from providence and still waters where our thirst is satisfied and we can rest to this looming shadow. And suddenly we're no longer on these high plains surrounded by green pastures, but in the valley. And isn't that how life goes? One minute, like things are going so well. Have you ever had one of those days where like things are going so well? I've hit every green light on Pico. This is incredible. I haven't stopped once. Oh, the, the loving hand of God is upon me today. Or however that fits into your life. But there are times where like everything is just going so well and then suddenly, boom, it all changes. It all shifts. And, and I love that the Bible is not so removed from reality. Like the book of Psalms is where theology meets reality. That's what Psalms is about. It's where theology meets reality. And so the reality is, is though I'm walking and following the shepherd, though I'm, he's leading me through green pastures, though I'm following after him, in a moment's notice, life can get really difficult. And that's what's being communicated. The, the fact that, I mean, you read that and you think, well, what's happening here? What's being communicated? What biblical truth is being revealed here? Has the shepherd left? No, like the shepherd's not gone. We know that, that one of the attributes that makes him a good shepherd is the fact that he's constantly present, that he is never absent, right? That's one of his attributes as the good shepherd. Did he make a wrong turn? Like, did he get lost? Did God forget about me? Well, we know from what scripture says that it, it's, that's not possible, that God is always on guard, that God knows what he's doing, that God's in control, but what's being revealed to us is the reality of difficulty and suffering. The reality of it. The fact that it's going to happen. That in this life, as you go along, you will enter into times of great darkness. The truth is that pain is, is an inescapable part of life. Pain is inescapable. It's, it's a part of the human condition. It's a product of sin. It's a symptom of a greater problem in this broken world. And because we live in this world, we are subject to pain. It's part of it. It's not a matter of if I will go through a difficult time or a matter of, of if I might have something hard uh, ahead of me, but when. And it's not this like depressing um, minor key sermon tonight of like, if things are going well in your life, just get ready because it's about to suck. Like that's not the, the, the text at all. But this is a true thing. It is reality. That life has ups and life has downs. And not to sound cliche or like, cliche, but it is like, this is how life goes. One minute things are great. The next they're not. And that's what David is saying. I'm following him. And you may have that, that kind of attitude. Like I have sometimes like I'm following you and it sucks. I'll edit that part out, but I'm following you. I'm doing everything the right way. I've gone to every Bible study this week. 
I've gone to men's prayer. I snuck into women's prayer. I've been to every single thing that the church offered, thinking like that's what's going to do it. And my life is still like in this downward spiral. I'm obedient. I'm fasting. I'm praying. And my car still is a piece of junk. (laughs) The reality is that pain is a part of our life. No matter what we do, even if you're doing the right thing, sometimes things just happen. And, and a lot of times we'll equate that to like, well, spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Everything was going so great and then I got a nail in my tire. No, no, I don't think, I don't think it's spiritual warfare. I don't think the devil was like, you know what? Here you go. Nail in your tire. Deal with it. Spiritual warfare. I don't think that's how it is. But he will whisper in your ear as you're there changing your tire. He'll say, God doesn't care about you. That's spiritual warfare. The main mode of weaponry in which the devil use, uses is not like traffic lights, stoplights, traffic tickets, nails in your tire, bad things happening, rocks hitting your windshield. I have a lot of car, um, car things. Like that, that's not spiritual warfare. What is, is the thought that will come as a result. The whispered lie in the ear from the devil that says, this is why this is happening to you. Because God's either not involved, he made a mistake, God's out of control, he forgot about you, and so on and so forth. You're less important than that person over there. You're like, oh yeah, he left the 99 today, I was one of them, and he went to chase after the one, and here I am, the faithful 99. There he goes, off to chase the one. I'm left here all alone. These are the times where we need to cling to the verse that we first read, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. Because pain and suffering can cause us to forget that the one who died for us also lives for us. Jesus not only died for you, but he also lives for you. He lives to make intercession for you, the Bible says. Like he not only paid the penalty on the cross for us, but he rose to life again, like sealing you with his Holy Spirit. Like he lives for you. He lives that you might receive from him and know him and and, and all these things. He not only died for you, but he lives for you as well. Um, But the first point tonight, if I have any points, and that is number one, stuff or suffering happens. Like it just does. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, he says, even, even though I'm going through it, he acknowledges that suffering happens, but the solution is not to seek to get out of it because the only way out of it is through it. He, he's saying the, the reality is, is that I'm in it. And he's not scheming and conniving to try and get out of it or away from it, which is the human condition. I hate pain. Like, I hate it so much. Um, Those of you that love to work out, you know, and you're like, this is so awesome. But the next day, it just hurts so bad, like squats. And you do all the squat thing, and you're like, yeah, squats. And then you go to, like, walk up the stairs, and you're like, good Lord. This is horrible. Why would I do this twice? You know, like, why would anyone do this twice? What's the point? Like, I can't fit into my jeans anyway. Um, What's the point of having giant quads? Um, Anyway, but 
the point is, is like pain is something we all avoid. Like when you go to the dentist, how many of you avoid going to the dentist? Why? Because it hurts. No matter what, even though we're taking x-rays and they stick those little things in your mouth, they're like, hold it. You're like, this is killing me. This is killing me. This hurts so bad or whatever. Like the dentist is the worst. How many of you don't go to the doctor when you should go to the doctor? Like, no, I, I don't do it. Why? Because it's going to hurt. Every time I went in because I pulled my hamstring and they're like, your blood pressure's high. And I'm like, yeah, because I pulled my hamstring. I'm not here for my blood pressure. I'm here for my hamstring. Stupid, it's stupid. I can count it every time. Here's $20 to tell me stuff I already know. That's painful. <laughs> anyway, um, pain is a part of life. But the point is not, not like... The psalmist is saying that even this valley has purpose in my life. That even that, while well, I'm here, I'm here. I acknowledge that I'm suffering. It's scary. There's this shadow looming over me. Like, this is a reality for me. But I don't doubt the presence of the shepherd here. He's here with me. In fact, he's led me here. And if he's led me here, then he's going to lead me out of here. The, the, the point of the, 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 the follower of Jesus is not to jump ship when things get hard, but it's to know that God is carving a path through that difficulty. And may I cling to the shepherd even more. Stay close to him even more. Especially when things get dark. When things get difficult. When you look at, at where they are, he's saying to them, the only way out of this is through it. And you look at the valley versus the mountaintop, like the mountaintop, if you've ever scaled a mountain, which I do weekly, just kidding. I never, I've never climbed a mountain, but I heard rumors like at the top of them, like it's pretty cool up there and you can like see stuff. And again, hiking, like why would you do that? It's so hard to go up and then you're down in like five minutes and you're like, woo, homeschool high five. We did it. Um, I walked, but here's the point. At the top of a mountain, there's not a whole lot growing. Yeah, the view's great. The air is thinner and, and, like, uh, and more fresh and whatnot. But there's not a whole lot of things growing up there, is there? The valley, however, you go down into a valley and what you find is beauty. Things growing. There's life amongst it. And I think that's the point of the psalm. Yea, though I'm up on the mountaintop experiencing all that God has, this beauty of his creation, and everything is going so well, I've made it. God then leads me back down into the valley, not for the sheer purpose of you just feeling scared and going through pain and suffering and difficulty, but it's in the valley that we grow. Do you grow through, through ease or do you, go, do you grow through pain? I refer again to the working out thing. Like, the more <laughs> I used to lift weights. Now everything's just too heavy. And what's the point? Like the whole point, like lifting weight, what happens is the muscle tears. It tears and rips. And then it heals again, which again, it's just sick and twisted. Okay. And then that's what makes these giant like, oh yeah. What's happened? You've torn your muscles to pieces and they've healed bigger. So, so do you grow by sitting there on a, on a couch and just being like, I'm just growing muscle right now? Everything's easy. Like, remember those, remember those things that would used to shock your abs on the TV? Like, do you want abs? Do you want this? You don't even have to go to the gym. Forget sit-ups. You'll hurt your neck. Here's this belt 
You can just sit on the couch, eat whatever you want, and the thing will shock your muscles so that you can have six-pack abs. Like, it just doesn't work like that. I tried it. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It's still like, oh, just one ab right here. Here's the point. Like, I'm lost. It's been a long week. Do you grow through ease and everything's easy and fine? Or do you, grow, do you grow when things get difficult? Do you grow when things are painful or do you grow when things are, are just simple? It's the challenge often in life that makes us better. Like when you're challenged at something, when you have to try harder at something, it causes you to grow and, and, and to mature as a person. The same goes in life as God allows, listen, every single thing that we go through, it has gone through Jesus first. Okay, so whatever hits you, like whatever difficulty, whatever struggle hits you, know that God was standing in front of you and has allowed it to pass through him to get to you. So if you're like, God, why is this happening to me? He knows exactly what's going on. And he allowed it. Now, do I know why he allowed it? No clue. I don't know why God allows these things in our life. I don't know why sometimes he allows really difficult things to happen in life. I don't know a lot of times why, why he uses this mode to like grow us. Like, God, why not some other way? Um, but this is how it goes. But one thing that I do know about the valley versus the mountaintop is that the valley has a way of mellowing us out and maturing us, doesn't it? Has a way of just like mellowing you out when you're all angsty and crazy and, and you're going through something difficult and you're like, I can't fix it, I can't do it. And God's like, why don't you just like relax then? Like mellow out, to use like the most hippie word ever, like mellow. But it does. It does. It's a sign of maturity. Peter, if you remember when Jesus told his disciples, like, I'm going to the cross, like I will be crucified. I'm going to die. And Peter rebukes Jesus. Pretty like, he's like, stop, stop talking. Like right now, that's not happening. Let me just tell you right now, Jesus, God of all things who doesn't need my help, that's not happening. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> he even like took him aside. The Bible says that he took, Peter took Jesus aside. Like the Lord is speaking these deep truths. He's like, I'm going to suffer, but don't be like, take heart. I shall rise again. And Peter's like, come here, come here. That's not happening. <laughs> you need to calm down, Jesus. Don't you realize we're going to rule and reign together? And I shall, sh I shall sit on your right hand because I am awesome. That's what he does. And Peter, and Jesus tells tells Peter just so lovingly and graciously, he says, you're just like the devil and you should get, get behind me, Satan. Isn't that awesome? Jesus, you're never going to go to the cross. And he's like, hey, Satan, get behind me. Okay. That's one instance. Okay. Like when you think about it that way, it's ridiculous. You're like, wow, Peter's an interesting guy and I can't wait to meet him. I guess he was like huge and loud and um, sounds like an exciting person to hang around. But here's the other part. Peter rebukes Jesus. But then, after he was broken, remember what happened to him? He denied Christ three times and he broke. He broke. 
It was through that pain and through the death of Jesus that Peter broke as a man. His pride was shattered. And when Christ rose again, what happened? He ran into the tomb to go see. Like just running to like find Jesus. And there on Pentecost as he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And people are like, you're drunk, you're an idiot. He's like, hey, I'm not drunk. Nine o'clock in the morning. It's not even a Friday or whatever. Like, no, I'm not drunk. What happened to this guy? He's not defending himself anymore. When he was there by the fire and everyone's like, you're one of them, you're one of the followers. He's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> even when like this little girl, the Bible still said this little girl like comes up to Peter and she's like, you were, you're one of his followers, aren't you? And he's like, curse, curse, like curses upon me if I was one of them. And then you look at Peter at Pentecost, something changed. What happened? He went into the valley. He was, his pride was broken. He grew and he's mellowed out. And he's just there at, on the day of the Pentecost. And he says, he's not taking himself so seriously. And he just preaches Christ. He preaches the gospel. He's a different person. It's a different person. Guys, that's what the Lord does in our life. He will allow us to go through valley and not, again, not to be cliche and like, but this is how life goes. And either you can fight it and like try and jump out of it and get away from it. Or you can say, God, I'm, I'm following you. Therefore, I won't lack anything. And I, I trust that you're working in my life. And I know you're going to lead. If you led me into it, then you're going to lead me out of it. Like, I'm just going to keep following you. Okay, that's, that's the, the mature answer, the, the, like the outward answer. This is what I'm telling you that I do. Like, God, I know that you've, you've called me, right? This is what I tell you that I do, but inside, I run around like a chicken with my head cut off, just like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? God, help me. Like, you forgot about me. I can't tell you how many times this year I've said, like, God, you forgot about me. Like, I've said it multiple times in my car, privately. Like, just, you forgot me today. Like, you did not, like David said, arise, O Lord. I felt like I needed to say it. Arise, O Lord. Like, wake up and come help. There's a time where Job even said that to the Lord. And the Lord said, Job, where were you when I made the earth? Oh, that's right. You didn't exist. Where were you? When I created the oceans and did all these things with the span of my hands, where, what did, did I ask you for help that time? And Job's like, no, because I didn't exist. And God's like, yeah, that's right. You're this big. And I'm this big. <laughs> like, you are not God, and I am. So, and that's the reality of things, I think, sometimes, is either God is who he says that he is, or he's not to us. And that, my friends if you would be my friend tonight, that, okay, that is part of the process of pain, I believe. Pain forces us to a point where we can no longer fake it with our faith. You can't pretend. Because either you believe it or you don't. Like, that's the thing. And I'm not even reading my notes anymore because I lost my place. But I'm just off the cuff here. You cannot pretend anymore. Either God is who he says that he is, or he's not. And what happens when we go through something difficult is we are forced to either believe it or we come to the terms with our lack of faith in it. Um, 
The attitude, like, <laughs> I lost my spot. Oh, my gosh. This is what I wanted to say. Here we go. What is the attitude in light of, of the shepherd? What does he say? Look at verse 4. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. The attitude in light of who the shepherd is, is there's a boldness and there's a resolve because he's with us. Like, he recognizes at the moment, like, God's with me, therefore I can be bold. Like, I will fear no evil. Like, nothing, there's nothing to be afraid of when he's there. There's nothing that can come against me, again, that, that the Lord hasn't already seen and knows. There's resolve to stick with it because he's with us. Psalm 27, it says, The Lord is the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And notice the pronoun here changes in verse, um, at the end of verse four. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. He's no longer using this other, other per- like he in, in talking about his. He says you. He's speaking directly to God. And I believe also that's what pain does. It forces and brings us to a place of intimacy with God. So it's no longer us talking about him in the third person. It's us talking directly to him and crying out to him and speaking to him. God, you said, you do, like, you said you would do this. You are God. I am not. It forces a lot of times this, what could be superficial in a relationship with God, it forces it to become something deeper and real. And any time that you've been walking with the Lord for a number of years, like any time you, you know, you have any kind of relationship in just life in general, you can begin to take those relationships for granted, right? Like just, yeah, I know that person. Like, cool. But when someone's going through something or you spend a lot more time together, suddenly you realize like, wow, this is so good. This is so good. I don't know why I like didn't realize this before, perhaps, or when they're gone. Like when they're gone and you're like, dang it. I should have like invested more. I should have taken that more seriously. I should have enjoyed it more, whatever. Same thing it goes when our, with our walk with God. We can know the goodness of God. We can know these things like for others, like, hey, God's good. God's good. God's good. But then when you go through it, you're forced to say he's good to me. And his loving kindness and his mercy is good to me and for me. Suddenly it changes. Um, the, the last little part there in verse four, it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Pain and suffering, they bring intimacy with God. His rod and his staff, these were disciplining tools, right? When little sheepies are running away, the shepherd's crook, he's got a little hook on it, and he's like, yeah, get back over here. And um, Anyway, I'm going to stop talking for a second. But that's what it was for. Like there was this, this bringing back, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the discipline of God in my life. There are times where, like, you try and get away. Have you ever tried to get away? And the Lord just, like, doesn't let you. And he keeps chasing you down. And you're like, no, I want this to stay secret between me and me, this little sin that I have. And, like, you stay out of it. And God's like, that's not how it's going to work. <laughs> you little freak. No, like, like, come on. Like, why are you drifting? Like, I love that about God. Like, why are you drifting from me? Come back. 
Like, get over here, you little stinker. Like, that's important. How many of you had, be honest, how many of you had a happy harness when you were a kid? It looks like a backpack, but it's actually a leash. You know what I'm saying? No one? Okay, yeah, me neither. I never used it on my kids. Um, but with my third kid, my, my son Silas, it was absolutely necessary. Absolutely necessary. The kid is not afraid of anything. And he would wander off, like, all the time. So we got him this little thing that looked like a little, a little puppy. And it was a backpack. And he was like, yeah, I got my backpack. And I have all this freedom. Meanwhile, I got, like, a leash attached to it. I'm like, yeah, that's right. You're not getting away. And, it, and when he would start to, like, run towards a pool, thank God, I'd be like, yeah. And he's like, yeah. You know? <laughs> like, ah! Saved his stinking life, like, a million times. That happy harness. But aren't you thankful in your own life that God chastens those he loves, Scripture says. Like, he doesn't just let you go. God's not like, you know what? It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Like, he doesn't do that. Do you realize that you've been bought by his own blood? And anything that he's invested that much into, he's not going to let go easy. And aren't you thankful that God chased you down? Even when you drift and you think like, oh man, God can't love me. He's like, you don't understand how much I love you. That when this happened and that happened and this happened, you know, that was all me, man. I was coming after you. And you're like, you ruined my life. And he's like, yeah, but I'm giving you life eternal. Like I'm going to replace what you call life with like actual life. Yeah. But it brings intimacy because we can't fake it anymore. We can't pretend uh, Charles Spurgeon, he said this, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me on the rock of ages. Like in the storm of it all, like the waves pick you up and throw you into the rock. And he says, so often that's my life circumstances. I'm like running from God or I'm trying to get away and God picks me up and he throws me against Jesus, the rock of ages. And he says, and I, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that God doesn't let me get away. The last part of this, um, this psalm, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we looked at like the shepherd's um, his care for us. We've looked at his, um, his discipline and like how all that stuff. But this last part is the shepherd is our host. Our host. Um, what does the hospitality of the Lord look like? You ever thought about that? Like God invites you over for dinner. Have you ever been over to someone's house? They're just so hospitable. You feel so at home and you're just like, wow, this is amazing. Um, there was a group of friends that I grew up with and they would go to my house when I wasn't there and they would break in through the side door and my mom always made sure that there was macaroni and cheese in our house. And they would like make macaroni and cheese, watch movies and like, hang out at my house when I wasn't home. <laughs> and they'd like clean up, do the dishes and be like, thanks, Joy. And I'd be like, I'd come home. My mom's like, hey, your friends were here. And I'm like, my, my friends were in my house and didn't invite me to my own house. <laughs> friends, you know what I mean? But they just felt at home. Like they, they felt like this is where they could just come and enter in and like enjoy what does it look like to have the hospitality of the Lord? Well, first of all, this invitation is not a gener into a generic meal. This isn't like, hey, come over for pasta. 
It says that he prepares a table before me, and it's the Lord's supper. It's communion. Where he is, it's his body and his blood that is offered. It's communion. He prepares the table. This invitation of God is God-initiated. This is God asking you. This is God coming to you and saying, I want you to come in. I want you to come into my house. I want you to sit at the table with me. I want you to eat with me and, and be with me. There's this deep sense of, of um, friendship and community and love uh, at the table of the Lord. In 1 John 4.19, it says, We love him because he first loved us. And throughout the history of the world, God calls and we answer. It's always been that way. Whenever we talk about how, um, you know, we found the Lord, did you really find the Lord or did God find you? Because he's the one who's called to us by his spirit. The Bible talks how the Holy Spirit is in the world, right? That the Holy Spirit is in the world as a common grace, calling all men, directing them towards Jesus. If men would lift up the Lord, the Holy Spirit would draw all men unto Jesus, the Bible says. And so that is the work of the Holy Spirit, drawing human beings back to the presence and into the Savior of the world. And when we're saved, it says that the Holy Spirit then is, is upon or comes into us, that he indwells us, that he regenerates us. And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit then comes upon us. And the Greek word is "upi," where it's upon and in and through. And the Holy Spirit is working in and through us. But it's all because of God. John 3.16, for God. Like, who initiated it? For God so loved. It's God initiated. It's God's heart. It's God's hand. It's God extending his salvation to us. It's not us. It's not us calling to him for rescue. It's God initiating this relationship. And, and when we come to the table, he says... We have this understanding that I'm here purely by his invitation. And I come as a guest, not as a consumer. I come as a guest to the, to the house of the Lord. And I come not because I'm so invitable or I'm so proper and so well put together and all of that stuff. He invites me because he invites me. And I'm there purely by his invitation. And the third thing right here, it says he prepares it because he loves us. But there at the table, he protects us. Look, he, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Like surrounded by enemies, David's saying, I'm having, I'm having breakfast with Jesus. I'm eating eggs and bagels, you know. He protects us at the table. There is promised safety at the table. And this is one thing I was thinking about today. Okay. If he leads us in the path, right? If he's leading us and he leads us in the valley of the shadow of death, I was reminded what it said in C.S. Lewis's book, um, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, when it's talking about Aslan. And they say, is he, is he safe? Right? Because they find out he's a lion. Like he's a, he's a beast of the field. And they ask, like, is he safe? And they respond, he is not safe, but he is good. Right? Starting to see it? Is following the Lord always super safe? Is there any risk involved? Absolutely. 
Jesus said to count the cost in following him. Is it safe? No. But is it good? Yes. Because he is good. God is good. But here, when he says that he prepares a table, he promises protection and safety. He promises that he's never going to let anything go through him that is unseen. And so he promises that safety. In the ancient world of hospitality, you would be responsible, right, in in biblical times. You'd be responsible for the safety of your guests from wild animals and from robbers. And basically, without hospitality in the ancient world, you just, like, wouldn't make it. You wouldn't make it. Like, unless someone invited you in and and took care of you a lot of times, like, you just wouldn't survive in those times. And so the word host, it comes from the Latin word hostess. Hostess. And that's why we call places that you can stay hostels, right? If you ever stayed in a hostel, it's quite an experience. They share the same Latin root, but the host would become hostile to anyone that would harm his guest. We see that in in the biblical narrative. Abraham, you see in in all these different ways, like Lot, when the men tried to come and and take hold of the angels that were in in the city, they like defended them and they they fought against them. Why? Because that's the, the point of the host was to prepare and make sure that their guests were taken care of. The host would throw himself in harm's way before any harm could come to his guests. And so when the, when the Lord says I, that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil, Jesus, our host, throw, threw himself in harm's way upon the cross and took upon himself our penalty. He threw himself in harm's way. He offered not only just, he didn't offer a meal, he offered his body and his blood. And this is the table, when we look at it, it's a table of grace, not merit. He has bought us or brought us new or made us new despite knowing everything about us, which means shame dies at the table. Jesus invites you in knowing full well everything about you. Can you imagine like you had to invite someone over tonight to your house for dinner and you're like, you seem harmless enough. But then flashing over their head is like all their weirdest stuff. So, like, it's just flashing over their head, like, uh, you know, all their little sins and all their little stuff. And you're like, mm, maybe not you. I'll find someone else, right? That's the Lord knows everything about you, past, present, future, and He invites you in, no strings attached, full well, knowing everything about you. It's a table of grace, not merit. And he invites us into this communion with him. Um, that means that, that shame dies at the table. I think so often what keeps us from intimacy with the Lord is the shame that we live with because of sin. Like sin promises all kinds of stuff, but it never tells you about the shame that's attached to it, does it? And so often that's what will keep us from a relationship with the Lord because we feel like, man, how could a God of holiness and righteousness love me? God doesn't want to get to know me. Why would God want me to be, um, to, to know him and to walk with him after all the things I've done? That's what shame will do. But notice what he says, that his cup runs over. This is my favorite part. 
There's always enough at the Lord's table. It never runs out. There's always enough. There's enough, which means if God's calling you and he says, I want you to come and I want you to, to commune with me. I want you to, to come and be, I want to host you at my table of grace. Then there's enough, there's going to be enough grace for you. There's enough mercy for you. There's, a, there's enough of salvation for you. It's not running out with the Lord. There's enough of, of his kindness for you. Isn't that wonderful? And that's what David says. My cup is just running over. It's not just filled to the top. You just keep pouring it on. And it's running over and running down. And it's just flowing. And God's like, I, and I'm not even worried about it. Because I'm never going to run out. We're, we're never going to be scarce when it comes to the, um, the grace and the mercy and the love of God. Aren't you thankful? I am. That's super cool. But look at the last part here, verse 6. And this is where we'll end. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is the last part. Um, this is what is caught in his wake as you follow the shepherd. You remember the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 33? Uh, it says this, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I will know you by name. And Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where, the, where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of that rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. What followed the Lord was his glory. And that's what he told Moses you could see. He said, Moses, you can't see my face like you'll melt. It's just, it's like exactly like Indiana Jones. You're going to melt. But what I will let you see is my, the trail of glory that passes behind me. That follows. It says that Moses' face would shine like the sun after beholding the glory of the Lord. In Exodus 34, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony of his, in his hands, as he came down the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. And so when we follow, when we follow him, the Lord, he carves out this wake and as we look back, we see his goodness and his mercy following. And this will continue all the days of our life as if you will follow the shepherd. Like goodness and mercy, that's what's in the wake of the Lord. Because his mercies are new every morning, he's good always. Therefore, if we follow our shepherd, what we experience is his mercy and his goodness. Our face shines in the sense that our testimony becomes the Lord is good and he is merciful and he is gracious. God's mercy and his goodness chase me all the way home. Like, that's the testimony. What, what follows me is not the dog of lack, right? Nipping at my heels, trying to get me to move, but it is his mercy and his goodness that will follow me. And lastly, it says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How do you enter into the house of the Lord? You don't enter as a sheep, but you enter as a son or a daughter. And the way that that happened is because Jesus, our good shepherd, became the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world, right? He took off 
glory, put it aside, wrapped himself in flesh, died on a sinner's cross, and rose to life again. The Bible tells us that he became sin for us. He became what caused us to have separation from God. Jesus took all that upon himself. And so the good shepherd became like one of us, his sheep, and died on the cross for our sins so that we would enter into his house by faith. And we don't enter as like animals. We enter as his own kids, his own kids in the family of God, which means like Romans 8 says that we're heirs with Christ. Jesus doesn't say that we're king, like I'm king and you're like little princes and little princesses. He says that we are kings and we will rule and reign together. He offers his kingdom to us. Come on, who does that? Only a God of love and a God of grace. The perfect spotless lamb of God who took away my sins and has made it possible for me to follow him all the way to glory, but only at his bought possession, not only as his bought possession, but as his child. It's a good God. It's a good shepherd. And that's, uh, and I think that's why Psalm 23 is like the pinnacle of the book of Psalms. It's where theology meets reality.